You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are here in our last week discussing Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders and, by extension, Alan Conway's The Magpie Murders right through to the end. Full spoilers are engaged. Andrew Popel from our sister show Final Draft is back in the house with us. I just want to ask right out the gate, having gotten to the end of this murder mystery and done what I like to call the uh, the murder mystery any percent, wherein you manage to get... <laughs> pretty much the entire answer without solving the actual crime itself. Actual How did, what's that experience yeah. like? It's been so long since I've seen Herds do it. Explain the, what is it, the any percent again? I've, I've solved it without really solving it. <laughs> the term any percent comes from video game speed running and basically means that you have achieved the objective by any means necessary getting through as minimal of the actual content of the structure as possible. And I think that what you have done and why I dub it the murder mystery any percent is that you've gotten all the themes, you've gotten the ideas, you're more or less got the criminals and you have a wonderful understanding of the story but yet i still have no idea how sir magnus pie was killed one of the things that i try to kind of ground on the show is that when, when i'm talking with flex when we're discussing theories i'll kind of talk about you know these are the physical things that occur during the story and these are the locked rooms and these are the 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 physical characters in the text that we're discussing you seem to have avoided that as much as possible and yet you, you've triumphed over this book, and I am. I think we're both pretty blown away at this point. I, I, I really am. My my <laughs> pride. I, I actually, I have. I had so many mixed feelings getting to the end of this book. I almost, um, I almost started texting you after our last recording because a whole lot of things actually fell into place. But I'm, I'm quite satisfied with my assessment from our, our very first conversation, where I feel like I, I suggested that the whole magpie murders from Alan Conway was all about killing the murder mystery, the cozy murder mystery, mm-hmm. and that's For sure. that's broadly what it was. I, I, I that's what I'm most proud of. I, the fact that I got one of the killers, mm-hmm. I, I don't care as much as that. And the other one, I just I'm I'm not sure if look is it is it right? Do you have this feeling of getting to the end and not knowing if you're satisfied? Like a you know after the denouement, I I'm sort of like, do I even need to keep reading? Do I care? I've literally stopped reading murder mysteries after I found out who the killer was because I'm like, well, do I care enough about these characters to know what they do at the, I don't know, the after party? Whatever the hell goes on in the last few chapters. Yeah. Well, I I think to me that's kind of like the make or break between a good mystery novel and a great mystery novel. Then there's another gap we could maybe (laughs) touch on between that and my favorite mystery novels. Oh, no. Uh, But I I totally understand and agree with that. You know, some murder mystery novels, you know, you slog through to the end past the explanation because it's the right thing to do by the author they've asked this time of you. You know, you don't really need it in a lot of cases. Sometimes you get ahead of the page. You know, in your case here, I feel you had a much better grasp on the themes than the story was expecting you to by the end. And it varies a lot. And I think that uh, for me, I enjoyed getting to the end of this book, reading it a bit more like a traditional mystery. But for you who engaged with uh, a lot more of the metafictional aspects and a lot more of the literary aspects to it, I can completely understand, sympathize and agree with your uh, opinion there that you know maybe it wasn't necessary to read all the way to the end. Wow. Wow. I see how it is. Who even needs to read about Punt's final final deliberation anyway? Charles was the, <laughs> the real important character in this. That was the, the murder of Alan Conway. That's what really matters. The entire seventh chapter, pretty much, take it or leave it. Who, who even cares, right? It was, um, it was so, it was so weird though. It was, and it felt there were some things that just felt really a bit tacked on, like like just literally introducing the seventh, the seventh chapter. I was a little bit bummed that it wasn't hidden inside the slide. That was my call. 
shame about that. Yeah, yeah. But then, then the way the seventh <laughs> chapter is introduced, it's just also like, oh, by the way, since we saved it from the fire, he, you might as well check it out. And I was like, oh, all right, I, I suppose. I don't know how satisfied I was. I'm, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Emma Stonex earlier this year about her book, The Lamplighters, which I suppose I can somewhat announce is our, is our next book um, on the show. Uh, and she was talking about how she actually had a similar feeling getting towards the end of that book where she maybe didn't even want to unveil the truth because the whole story uh, in a similar way spun its theme so it wasn't as necessary. Um, and she kind of felt a little obligated to just get in there and kind of lay it to rest almost so that speculation was impossible. It's kind of a, a level of finality uh, because to some extent when the whole book is about Alan Conway, this author taking chunks of people's lives and putting them into his text and how they feel about that, maybe it's better to close that off so you're not inadvertently speculating on these people's lives. The, the other thing, as you say, is that it's, it's also about rounding out Alan, Alan Conway's journey in depicting these characters in the fiction uh, that they're like based on real people, because we're told through the text and through Susan's observations and the people that she speaks to that Alan Conway is the worst and we hate him and we wish he would die. That is the like thematic conclusion. A lot of people wish that she just had never exposed this killer in the first place. That's that's, you know, the thematic conclusion there. But there is something, I think, to the way that Alan tackles the, the characters, like he portrays the vicar, for instance, as being very silly as part of this like nudist colony, even though he's supposed to be the, the vicar, right? Um, but there is something almost wholesome about the way that's, that some of those characters meet their their, their judgment under Punt. Um, Robert Blakiston, which we'll obviously we'll get into the mystery further on the third part, but when we deliver his judgment, it's very clear that even though Robert Blakiston is a, it's like genetic psychopath, you know, he's the scum of society, all that sort of thing. He still genuinely loves joy. There is still some positive aspect of the way that Alan is portraying these characters. So we kind of see in the last chapter there, you know, we see his writing in a new light. Now that we understand all the characters that those fictional beings come from, um, we can see that maybe he's not entirely scorn and, and disgust, you know? And I think that's important to kind of round out the novel. Yeah. It's so it's so strange though the the way you talk about that that sort of rounding out because it just it it didn't work for me and <laughs> and and Robert sure. you say you say he's a genetic psychopath but he's also not and this is something that I have a problem with why do they always sure. confess why do we get to this moment where the killer is confronted <laughs> with the truth and they're like well you might as well know and I'm like in both of the mysteries there was a very simple keep a poker face, keep denying it, and they would not in th- they they might have been caught in the long run, but it would have it would have been another book's worth of boring investigation. In the end, in a murder mystery book, when all of the clues for the sake of the audience are laid out there, what difference would it make if the criminal you know doesn't confess? And it's kind of interesting that Anthony Horowitz didn't play that inversion when it could have so easily played into all of the other flipping that he's done so far through the story. Well, that's the thing, I guess. In, in the if we, we we have to talk about like both of these stories as they're part of the Mag, Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz, but they're written by different authors in the in the fiction. But but yeah, like it's a trite murder mystery series. Of course, the killer's going to confess at the end. Um, but when you come to 
the 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 outside mystery of of Charles and 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 Susan. I almost said Joyce there, but and Susan and such, and the the manuscript and the missing chapter, like. He confesses, but then he tries to murder our detective in a burning building. Like <laughs> there, there was, and and the discussion that then is had after that instance is, you know, maybe you shouldn't have brought the criminal to justice. Wouldn't have been better for everybody else if you hadn't even tried that, uh, Susan. Um, which is directly in contrast to in in Punt's story. He says, yep, justice is the important thing and it's tragic and it's, you know, there's this romance thing going on in the background between between Joy and, and Robert and that's sad, but justice is the most important thing and that's what we end on, right? I think maybe then we need to leave it to the, the incredibly angry dramatic speech by our um, real-life detective Idris Elba Luther-esque character who who really runs Susan through the ringer around the fact that she wants something out of this romantic notion and that's not real life. And and he would broadly agree with what you're saying here, this idea of that justice is important, that you can't just let a killer get away because it might kind of suit your vision of the world. I mean, that that felt like a very clear-eyed kind of reality approach that we weren't we weren't getting anywhere else and I just – it was such a clever novel, but as soon as the cleverness was was opened up to me, I was just kind of like, oh, now how do I feel about everything else? I mean, I'll talk forever about how clever the doubling was, but eh. Yeah, I suppose it's like it's almost uh, somewhat fittingly uh, a go at genre fiction because so often genre fiction kind of aspires towards these literary inclinations, tries to break out of its bounds. But as soon as you choose to play within the field of murder mystery, there's only so many literary bits and pieces that you can throw in without kind of un- undermining what you're still trying to achieve. Um, I think that there's something really interesting in how uh, this book simultaneously, as you say, does so many great things with the doubling and so many great ideas, but still has that that end point, that stopping point where, sorry, we've reached that point in the, it's, look at the time, it's it's murder mystery time, here we go. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think in terms of um, engaging with, with genre versus literary fiction, I mean, that is, that to me get, becomes such an old and tired argument because people need to read things that resonate with them. And if genre fiction resonates with you, do you know what? Like maybe become the protagonist in your own murder mystery when you just kill all those people that want to get down on your reading habits. Um, great. <laughs> just, I'm down for that. Yeah. Our, uh, the I, two SER lawyers are in my ears right now just <laughs> wanting us to quickly clarify <laughs> that clarify. this is, does not mean literally kill the people who are telling you that you shouldn't read genre oh, okay. fiction. I'm glad you clarified that. I was about to regret many phone calls and many, uh, many actions. Yep, continue. Or, or do I? Because <laughs> what the heck is going on with that final, mm-hmm. that final, two lines of the book. It was, it was super Dickens-esque, like vague ending. Like I, I don't think Anthony Horowitz meant this, but when Susan says I had been the detective and now I was the murderer and you know what? I think I liked it more. Was that meant to, you know, drop a bomb into our brains or were we just like, no, no, she's got a very, a very vivid imagination. So now she feels like she line. can do both. I have no idea. And I'm glad you were the one to raise this instead of me, because really it's just, <laughs> it's a funny line, but I don't get anything out yeah, of it. I, I think it's definitely a bit vapid. But again, like Susan, Susan, I, I quite enjoyed as a character and I, I didn't mind her, her coming into her own, 
I was furious. I was furious with the ending where we've we've actually established her. She's come into her strength. She is kicking goals. She's got the killer. Yes, she's done it. Okay, he looks like he's going to get away. She's not doing well. But what the heck is going on? I'm remembering not to swear, even though I'm very angry. What the heck is going on with our hero being overcome and then having to be saved with a man? You've got a female protagonist and you're going to undo all your crap. Like there is some serious patriarchy going on here and i didn't like it i think i think that is a fair cop sir a fair cop yeah no i'm with that yeah i think it's also like really interesting you know when we when we then kind of go back down into our doubles and look at the actions of equivalent characters in uh in alan conway's the magpie murders that you know, obviously we still have a sizable odor of the patriarchy down a layer there yes. but yes. our detective character is never kind of like undermined in their character development in the same way that Susan is. I think the interesting thing with the doubling is also I I, I could not identify a clear double for Susan in Magpie Murders. And I it's, think that was ultimately Alan. It's Cam- Joy. Surely it's Joy. Right? Is it not Joy? Is am I crazy? I just I just wanted to state for the record that Herds had made this opinion to me after we recorded last episode and I have laid this trap. Continue. I- You've laid this trap for me to fall into. Andrew, I need to tell you, Joy is betrayed by the the man that she's supposed to trust, the publisher. And in the same way that Joy is betrayed by the murder of, of her story, Robert Blakiston, that clearly Joy's story was going to be one where she trusted everyone and then at the end had her world crumble out from underneath her as she realized that the person who was her rock, her, her perfect fiancé, was the murderer all along and was the root of all of the troubles. Not to mention, talking of the patriarchy there, there's a very interesting subtext to the idea that Alan Conway yep. was writing his editor's boyfriend yes. as the bad guy. Yes. Like, what is going on inside Alan Conway's head for that decision? Yeah, I am. I 100% back that. <laughs> if I if I allow for, and I, I quite like your explanation there, if I allow for Joy Thank you. being uh, Susan, then it doesn't change what I'm saying here. Either- Susan prevails because she has no double. Sidestepping the issue. I see how it is. Susan prevails (laughs) because she has no double. Or Susan (laughs) prevails because her double in Magpie Murders, Alan Conway severely underestimates Susan. Bloomin' Conway, is he's got so many doubles because, I mean, I think you're going to disagree with me here, but there is a sense that Robert is his double. Pund is his double and also Magnus is his double. Um, He spread himself too thin and eventually he was spread too thin at the base of the tower. There, I said it. Nice. Wow. That's a great way to end that. All right. Now, that's the end of the segment. You're listening to Death of the Reader. (laughs) We're discussing Anthony Horowitz's The Magpie Murders. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER 107.3 and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here, your murder mystery world tour. We are discussing Anthony Horowitz's The Magpie Murders all the way through to the end. Andrew Popel has been in the hot seat solving it, and it is finally time to award the two points that you have earned yourself as, I suppose, vice captain of the opposing team, yourself and uh, Sean Britton, team captain have now added another two points to your total. Okay. Nice. There we go. I was on, Congratulations. I was on a team. I didn't know I was on a team. Should we call them the, the away well, team? Quite, the the like, thing was, we d- we realized we realized that if we were going to have people on solving murder mysteries alongside us, it'd be a little unfair to keep, you know, individual tallies for every guest as opposed to just having every guest versus us. Okay. Well, yeah. that's the thing. We can't call it the Sean Britton team anymore. Can we call it the away team? Is that- 
Is that the name now? I don't know. Maybe we have I, to. I back the away team. The away team isn't a bad one. Never like wear a red shirt when you come turf. on the show. That's well, the rule. exactly right. It's also a nerd reference, and people love those. So I I back the away team. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Having having say? dished out your two <laughs> points for almost getting things right, I uh, I I I did want to say we touched on at the beginning of the show the the murder mystery any percent. And I almost did the same thing to some extent, because the death I want to open talking about is Mary Blackston. As I was saying in the opening segment of the show, there's a really interesting moment where the police come in and aren't the bumbling fools that murder mystery often portrays them as and just gets Mm -hmm. her death right. She tripped on a cable with a vacuum cleaner and fell down the stairs. And on the one hand, when I got to the end of the book, part of me was expecting it. I was like, it's still a possibility. I hadn't really ironed it out because I wasn't, I wasn't going hard like I would have if I was in the hot seat. But I was also like a little disappointed. The explanation is a bit silly, right? There's an explanation that Robert was going to call her and she was racing to get the phone and she fell as she was going to pick. Isn't that it? Yeah, because there's the whole dramatic irony that Robert then goes to do a vengeance for something that he kind of indirectly was responsible for. But that's the the only reason it's there, though. I mean, as you say, the the irony of the indirect vengeance. But, like, Punt can then say during his suspect lineup, Ah, you see, Robert killed his mother, but he didn't actually. Like... (laughs) I, I think the key thing for me is that we get a bit too much of a runaround for it to still be an accident. Like, you know, I, I like it when my red herring has come back around and means something at the end. And really, I didn't feel like we needed that much setup for that dramatic irony. I just want to I want to clarify super quick. It was Matthew that made the call. So it was her husband that made the call. My problem. My problem. Because, uh, but the only way, the only way I can reconcile to that whole ending is that Alan Conway in his way, and I think I think this is what Horowitz is trying to project on a Conway. Alan Conway was trying to make the most unfair, fair play type of ending sure. and just see where the people still swallowed it. Yeah. I think he just wanted to ride. I, I think the idea is he had this whole, whole thing planned out. He we we learned that he had the nine books and it was his whole wordplay thing like even even the anagram of Atticus Pun's name i'm not going to say it because it not because i don't, don't. not because i don't want to swear on on air i just feel like it's just the dumbest thing it's kind of like oh here's this multi it's so dumb it's so dumb this multi-million dollar author going he 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 i snuck a swear in <laughs> like he snuck a swear in and his publisher was mad about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> And, it's very strange. And that sets off the action. It's just like, oh my goodness, if the if the public, if the reading public find out that you snuck a swear into the books, everything will be so bad, I better kill you just in case. I better murder you. Yeah, yeah I better yeah. kill you with the award you won for the franchise you snuck a swear into. Like, give me a break. <laughs> it's 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 not the best motivation. Let me put it that way. <laughs> mm. um, I, I do want to challenge a little bit about the uh, the Robert Blakiston thing, though, because even though I, I did say earlier on, like, he has genetic psychopathy, but that may not be the case. Like, we know that he, uh, he killed his brother, which is messed up, and it's entirely possible that it's, it's more a case of his mother, like, believing that he's a psychopath and, like, hating him as a son because he's the one that wasn't favored by by magnus or at least that's the reading i'm going to take because as a mystery in the way it's kind of unveiled to us through mary blakerson's diary of saying 
oh, I don't want the, the, my son and their joy to get together because the sickness will be passed on. I think that's a good clue. But being like, yeah, it was, it was psychopathy is a pretty weak like reason, I, I suppose. I, the, my, my feelings about this actually go to how I solved what parts of the crime that I actually solved. I really did this thing where I kind of just ignored the mystery. What I'm saying is basically like, yeah, Robert was fine. Like, okay, great. It all fits. He killed him. But I'm like, it didn't work for me in the story, in the narrative sense. I'm like, uh, it's okay. Cain and Abel. Yeah, great. That's a good trope to rely on. Oh yeah. Psychopathy. Okay. I mean, it exists, but it didn't feel like it wasn't part of the big clever wrap up that I saw Alan, um, Alan Horowitz. Anthony Conway. Felt, felt a little bit like you tripped over a vacuum cleaner cord. Uh, even I even loved, I thought they were setting up this beautiful motif of everyone was getting killed by um, markers of their class. Like even um, towers and writers are a, f- a fabulous sort of, you know, linking. Um, everyone was getting killed by markers of their class. No, it was just a shame she ran and tripped on the hoover. Bam, mic dropped. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you can still kind of tie it to Anthony Horowitz and say everyone was killed by the marker of their class, but then there's not like the same level of engagement where if it had been like a plan or a metaphor set up by a killer. And of course, you can then go, it's a metafiction. The, the author was the killer all along. That's the mm. that's how it works. But like in the in the end, wasn't it all about the killers we met along the way? <laughs> I thought so. The same thing also applies, <laughs> though, to the the other murder, the real world murder, the the, um, the murder of Alan Conway. The whole clue. I mean, I, I I picked the clue. I almost called you guys back after our last conversation because the clue just popped into my head. But it is such a deeply unsatisfying clue. Susan figured it out because Charles knew that they had to take a, a detour. And I'm like, that's it? That's it? What if he just looked it up on the GPS? And I like, I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I genuinely love the metafiction though. And as I said, that's all I've engaged with. I've ignored clues. I've ignored locked rooms and bodies and all the other things that yeah. seem to make a you've, murder. You've ignored the murder. I've ignored the murder. <laughs> I, I've only cared if it fits the story. Yeah, I think that's fine though. Like you, you can engage the novel on, you know, multiple layers. You can engage it on one layer and it's written to be that you can do that if you really want to. To that, to that end, one thing that I, I did, uh, this book got me thinking about it. Like, I, I genuinely love this type of book, and it got me thinking of other books that have engaged with this idea of how we exist in stories and how stories play a role in our lives. If you're about to say, if you're about to say crossing the lines. Well, okay. So what I, watched, I dare you. I was, I was going to, I was actually going to start with a couple of books that aren't specifically murder mysteries. Please do that. So John per- <laughs> John Purcell's John Purcell's The Girl on the Page uh, is an absolutely fantastic look, particularly at the tension between genre and literary fiction. And it also gives a bit of an insight into the kind of the cutthroat side of the world of writing. Um, Sean Rabin's Wood Green, apart from being a fantastically atmospheric Tasmanian um, story, really kind of looks at how writers embody their work. And then, yes, for people that needed more of a mystery, I was going to mention Solari Gentile's Crossing the Lines. <laughs> if you want to catch up on our three episodes on that very book from just a few weeks ago, <laughs> head off to the Death of the Reader podcast. Please do. Please check it out. It is a it is a gorgeous book from just one of my favorite Australian mystery writers. She's also one of our favorites. So yeah, yeah. I almost feel bad sometimes putting Solari's work on the show because I feel like 
we're too nice to Solari, really. We need to go a little harder on her because all of us we, here we at 2 SEO about- love her so dearly. Yeah. <laughs> we need to find a bad book by Solari Genshaw. I don't know if that's possible, but we need to do it. Either that, we need to ask her to write something terrible for us to critique. Uh, just to balance out the karma here. Because otherwise... We're digging a hole. Herds, did you find any use for the uh, for the magpie omen through the story in terms of actually solving the mystery, or was it just was it just fluff on top? My my impression is I should really pull it back up. My impression was that each of the because there are seven chapters and seven magpies, and there was like a poem. You know, similar there would be in any old country house, Britain murder which is technically what this is, country manor technically, but you know, whatever. There, there were seven lines associated with each of the seven magpies. And I don't have it open right now, but I would assume that each of the seven lines would be attributed to each of the seven chapters. That was my impression. Because I mean, you know, we do have, we do have the bit where, uh, where Susan notes kind of the, the odd one out. Uh, when she's figuring out the naming scheme in Alan Conway's The Magpie Murders, but I, uh, I, I wasn't sure if we could we could f- fact that that in on the layer above as well. It's not The Magpie Murders. That's the point. I don't want you getting into fights in restaurants about this. I, I won't. I won't handle the. There was no end to that sentence. I'm not having the. <laughs> I'm not having the. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, it is Magpie Murders. It's not the Magpie Murders. I actually will say, just while we brought that up, I quite liked that as a reveal. I still think the whole, like, an anagram thing is kind of boring, but the idea that you could hear someone, you know, saying a sentence, ending the sentence, but be like, what were they about to say? But wait, it was the, that was the secret all along. Like, I quite like that as an idea for, like, a... Uh, a conversational like trick and a clue. I think in the washout, it's actually, I think Horowitz was trying to critique his fictional Conway for being too clever, but not clever enough. Like he relied on these really superficial tropes and he didn't successfully bring the magpie poem in. I don't think, I mean like the chapter headings, the one, you know, one for sorrow, two for joy, joy features prominently in the joy. The silver is discovered in the silver chapter. The gold is mentioned in the there gold chapter, but I've got to be, I've got to be real. Chapter seven, they tell the secret. So I don't know, drop the ball there. I think it was meant to be a little bit of a critique of Conway for being clever and then not wrapping it all up because and I mean, he basically he basically lays it out that Conway was just a very good puzzle maker who happened to write some murder mysteries. But Horowitz brings in murder mystery tropes from across a hundred odd years. And Hor- he wants us to say, oh, Anthony Horowitz is very clever at bringing all of this in. Conway was just, you know, good at puzzles. And the future of murder mysteries involves us being literate in all of the above and not just relying on understanding, say, um, a nursery rhyme is going to be the the clue that gives it all away. And I think yes. I think yep. that's what he wants, but I'm not sure that's what I was left yeah. with. No, I think I think, I think that's we a, agree fair, with that. a, a fair summary. We'll just have to find another murder mystery that uses a nursery rhyme or some kind of riddle in a way that's a bit more complex. Um, if only there you know, were any out there. If, if only, only there were any books that might do that in a really exceptional way. We'll have to talk about them later on on Death of the Reader. <laughs> Alternately, just find a book where the ma- the magpie is the culprit. Oh, it was the magpie all along. I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you little chicks. <laughs> Andrew, if you can find a book where the magpie is the killer, then you can have your third point. I'm making that call right now. Find us that book and you'll that's get a, a point that's for a, it. That's a game. Yeah, it is. Anyhow. Good luck. 
<laughs> I suppose it is time that we we conclude the show there. Andrew Purple, thank you so much for joining us. For anyone who uh, isn't familiar, just give us a short rundown. What is Final Draft and where can you be found? Look, Final Draft is books, writing and literary culture. And, and what that means is every Saturday morning at 10am and Wednesday night at 6.30, you can discover new Australian books, new Australian writers, and you can get to the heart of the stories that make us who we are. These are Australian stories engaging with what is happening to us right now. This week on the show, you can meet Mehdi Jacobson, Her new novel is The Wingmaker, and this is just a fabulous escape to a dilapidated hotel by the sea. And then next Saturday, I've got an incredible Sydney story, Max Easton's The Magpie Wing. This is, these are the streets that you can't walk down right now. I've absolutely loved Max's book and I can't wait to share it. Fantastic. Really looking forward to hearing both of those. And we will, of course, have links up on the podcast if anyone wants to get there. So, uh, head on up to 2SCI.com or our podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It's been so lovely coming back home. You were our first ever guest. And fortunately, at least as far as the higher-ups tell me, you won't be our last. <laughs> well, look, I've got my I've got my dear stalker cap and my magnifying glass arriving via courier. So I will be ready next time you call me up to solve a mystery. Herds, we will be back here on Death of the Reader next week with Emma Stonex's The Lamplighters, parts one to four. The Lamp Leaders. I'm so excited to get to this. Uh, so excited to get to this book. I'm excited to hear your passion and your love for this book. I hear it's going to be a, a an isolationing good time. It sounds it sounds great. Chapter on a lighthouse and possibly getting murdered. Three men disappear from a lighthouse, and we even worse. We cut in to find out what happened to them. This has been Death of the Reader. We have been discussing Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders, and by extension, Alan Conway's Magpie Murders. We will be back with more Death of the Reader next time. Thank you so much for joining us. This is 2SER 107.3.